Anyway, welcome this morning. Are you ready? Yeah. Good, good. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about a message called the no names. Uh, the no names. If they want to put that graphic up there. Awesome. <laughs> the no names. And uh, we just, uh, I welcome you to you. I want to talk to you about what this is about uh, as we go into it. Uh, one of the things that's important is to understand uh, what are we supposed to be known in the kingdom for? What, are we supposed to be known for a great name? Are we supposed to have no name? But I want to talk to you this morning about what I'm calling the no names. And in this message, I want you to see some things. I want us to start at Genesis chapter 11. Let's start at Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1. The no names. Glory to God. Now in Genesis chapter 11, this is the story of Babel. And in the story of Babel, it says this, verse, verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Now I want you to see this, this wording here, let us. Let us do it. Let us, right? Notice who's not in this conversation. God. It's let us do it, all right? Come, let us, uh, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they use brick for stone and they use tar for mortar. I know in the King James it says they use slime uh, for mortar. Uh, slime just sounds gross. Verse 4. They said, come let us, come let us build for ourselves, for who? For ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So out of fear of not being something, out of fear uh, they decided, we're going to go do this ourselves. We're going to come let us do ourselves a favor. Come let us make ourselves a name. Come let us make a tower that will touch heaven. In other words, what this is, this is the spirit of Antichrist basically saying, we'll do it ourselves without God. Come let us do this. Come let us, let us do this. Come let us make for our, a name for ourselves. Come let us build this tower. Right? And then it's interesting because then the Lord came down. Why did they do that? They did that out of fear, though. You notice fear was driving this. Fear was driving this. That they, they were fearful that they would not have a name for themselves. They were fearful that they would be scattered. And it's almost kind of like they were rising up in revolt against God. Like, let us show God who we are. We don't need him, and we're going to do it our way. Right? Come let us. And then uh, verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Verse 6, the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing, listen to this, this is God talking. Nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now that's a really interesting statement. 
Because I want you to see how well this is men under a curse, living in sin, and yet God says these men under the curse, living in sin, can do whatever they set their mind to. That's amazing. How well were we designed? That even under sin, God said if they come together, they can do whatever they want to. That's an amazing statement. Now there's a problem with this because if they actually accomplish what they've set out to do, they would make their name great, they would make themselves like gods, and ultimately here's what would happen to all of them. They would be destroyed by their own pride. They would, in other words, these, if God didn't do something, they are all doomed to eternity in hell. God knows it, they don't know it. Maybe they do, maybe some of them did, but God knew what would happen. In order to save them, he had to come down and he had to bust up the little let us party. And all of a sudden, if he didn't bust up their let us party, then all of a sudden what would happen is they would go to the place where they could not be saved. Well, God loves them. He doesn't want that to happen. He says, I've got to break that up. And he says here, but it's amazing that they could do whatever they want to. Now what's so interesting is, Right here in Babel, he confuses the languages. What exactly did God do in Acts chapter 2 when he gave us the language of the Holy Ghost again? He unified our language in the Spirit and all of a sudden we can do whatever we set our minds to again through Christ. We can do it the right way through him. He said, look, when I give you, when I empower you and baptize you in the Holy Ghost, I'm going to strengthen you to a place that you can do whatever you set your mind to. As the Lord tells you something... I can use that, utilize that language. We can come into unity. All of a sudden, the power of God will help you do whatever you set your mind to do. Whatever, when you set your mind on the things that God said, you can do it all. You can do it all through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's why the devil fights it so much is because he knows if, they, if we get a hold of this, he cannot stop us. He can't stop us. He can't stop you. And he said, I'm giving you this. Now, this is a big, big key. What was the purpose of the people at the Tower of Babel? To make them a great name. But what is the purpose of the pouring out of the Holy Ghost? To make us witnesses. To give you the power to be witnesses to the goodness of God. And what actually happens when the Holy Ghost falls on them and they come under one language again and they're unified in that? What does everybody say? We heard them talking about the great things God has done. In other words, it went from let us make ourselves a great name to let us make his name great. All right, now, he says this, uh, look, it, they can do anything. Verse 7, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now this is very interesting because a lot of people look at that and like, well God just doesn't want man to, to go forward. Well that's not true at all. If you just looked at that story, maybe even if you took a verse out of context, you remember the one where the, John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. So you could combine these two stories and be like, oh, lowly me, you know, we're just, we're just filthy rags and God doesn't, we're just so poor and pitiful. 
But when you look at the full counsel of the word, that's not what God wants to do. He just, this was grace at Babel. This was the grace of God not allowing them to doom themselves for eternity in hell. That was the grace of God coming on them. But God, the plan of God, just one chapter later, one chapter later, it's not that God wants us all to not have a name. Look one chapter later, Genesis 12, verse 1, and here, right out of the gate, when God starts to reveal his plan to Abraham, here's what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So just one chapter later, God says, no, I'm not trying to hold you down. I actually want to build you up. I want to make your name great. Because we know over in Galatians chapter 3 that everybody who is of faith is blessed with faithful Abraham. So when God made this promise to Abraham, he was saying it to you too. I want to make your name great. I want you to be blessed. I want you to, to be blessed everywhere you go. That's what God's telling you today. Anybody receive that? Glory to God. And over in um, Samuel, 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 9, he says a very similar thing to David. Uh, Verse 8, Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. Any one of you, he took you from the pasture? Any one of you smell like sheep? Maybe other stuff that goes along with sheep? You ever gone into a barn? It doesn't always smell pleasant, fragrant, not like flowers. It doesn't smell like the glory. Any, any one of you besides David, he's rescued you from the pasture of life. Just close your eyes for a second. Any one of you, you've been rescued from those places? I know I have. Oh, there's days I wish I would have never seen. I definitely wish God would have never seen. But he rescued us. He saw the worst in Romans 5. I, you, were, you were helpless, you were sinners, you were my enemies, and that's when I sent my son for you. That's when I sent my son for you. He rescued us. He didn't leave us there. And just like David and just like Abraham, look at what he tells David in verse 9. I have been with you wherever you have gone. Do you think David felt like he had been with him everywhere he had gone? I have moments where I don't feel like God's been there, but guess what God said? I've been with you. 
Jesus said this to you, fear not, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on earth. Proverbs 22.1. I say this because we're talking about today the no names, and I want you to be a no name in one form, but I don't want you to be misled because uh, the spirit of religion, which is wrong, a spirit of religion will take you to the place where it says that, that God will never make anything out of you, you'll never be known for things. That is contrary to God's will. But there's, there's a balance here that I want you to see. I want you to see this, that God wants to make your name great, but at the same time, you've got to be willing, if it never happens, to do what I need to do. See, the problem at Babel was this. The problem was they were doing it for themselves to glorify themselves. Who was the one who was giving them the great name? They were giving themselves the great name. The, the issue is it's got to be God that we're glorifying and God the one who will give you the great name. Because he says here, a great name, Proverbs uh, 22 and verse 1, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. In other words, a good name is better even than silver and gold. A great name is what he wants to get on you, but for what purpose does he want you to have a great name? He wants you to have a great name so that you can glorify him. He wants to bless you in your life. Why? So that you will be a light shining with the light of Jesus Christ, not to be put under a bushel, but to shine in the earth. Look at Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60 in verse 1. Arise. Listen, this is a command. He's talking to you. Future Israel here, he's talking to you that when Jesus comes, when the Savior comes, you will take on a new set of characteristics. You will take on a new identity. And he's telling you, don't just sit. See, when I'm telling you in worship this morning, like, you got to do something. You, you can't just sit there and be unexpected. you got to do something. This is what he's telling them. Look, you got a shining that I have called to be in your life life. You got something to shine with, but you can't just sit there. You've got to arise. You've got to step up to that place. The reason we're talking today about no names is because there's an element of it that we've got to be very good at being a no name. But at the same time, God has a plan to take his greatness, put it on you, and let you shine so that when people look at you, all they see is your finger pointing up to him. And this is what he says. He said, I want to take my glory and I want to put it on you. But listen, here's why I'm telling you the difference between no name and a great name is because this, if you don't know that God wants to give you a great name, you will have no faith and no expectation and no, uh, no action to move into the place where God can actually bless you in it. You'll sit there and you'll believe the rhetoric coming from a spirit of religion that says, I'm just a nobody. Sit in the corner and never do what God asks you to do. 
But God says, I want you to do something. And along the process, I will make your name great. But the key is, do you know what to do with it when I make your name great? Do you know what to do with it when I take you out of the pasture, out from around the smell of the flock, and I start to raise you up and I start to put you on the pedestal? Do you know that the light and the attention that you get and the light that you shine, it is Jesus and it's for Jesus? Do you know that? Look at his plan. This is God's plan. But see, we can't sit there. The reason I'm telling you the difference between the two is you can't sit back and expect that God will never use you and never point you out to a people. Our job should be that we believe God and we start moving to the place where all of a sudden we're just doing our job as a Christian and all of a sudden we realize he's lifted us up. And we're like, whoa, how did I get here? But when people start to look at you at a higher place, all of a sudden you say, hey, I'm not standing here because of me. I didn't even have the ability to make a good decision if it wasn't for Jesus. If I'm standing here, it's because I made good decisions. It's because he gave it to me because every good and perfect gift comes from him. It's him, it's him, it's him. That's why he wants to raise you up. You can see it. Here's his plan. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Jesus has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Upon who? Say, upon me. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you. Say, upon me. me. Turn to your neighbor and say, upon you. Amen. Listen to this, and his glory will appear upon you. It's not your glory, it's his glory. But I want you to, he then takes of his glory and he makes it yours. He's changing your life right now. I can see it on you. I'm watching his glory start to invade who you are and and bring you up to a higher place. That's for real, that's personal. He's changing it. I remember the first day you walked in here, you're like, I don't even know, but I did feel God. I remember your testimony. I felt God. Something about that was real. And see, what what she experienced that day was the power of God. It was his glory that he put on me that day. Why? So that that he could get the glory. And when she felt the power of God running through her body, I said, that's Jesus because he loves you. So when she looked up and could have looked at me, I pointed her straight to Jesus. And now that glory that was on me that overflowed into her life, now she's starting to get some of her own. Glory to God. This is exactly the plan. Now listen, he says, nations will come to your light. So now he's taken of his light and his glory and he's made it yours. He's always looking for partners in the earth to share his light and his glory with. Look at this next statement. He says, and kings to the brightness of your rising. In other words, God wants to lift you up. He doesn't always want you to be a no-name. The question is, are you willing to be a no-name in the process? Are you willing to be a nobody? You know, the problem in churches that I see all the time is that people want to be known. They want fame and fortune. 
They want to be the mega church pastor. They want to be, I've said this as a joke, but it's really true. And very rarely have I ever seen anybody walk in these doors and not give me their spiritual resume. Well, I went to this church and I've done this and I've prayed this and I've done this and everything. I'm like, forget that. What's your problems? Tell me your problems. I'm not here. That will take care of itself. If you're anointed, if you're gifted, you go after God with all you got, he'll give you his glory. Forget about that. Let's talk about what you need to fix in order to let his glory shine through. In other words, you might have had some old past glory, but now the filament in the bulb has done broke. And when you shake it, there's a rattling in it, which you did with old bulbs before the LEDs came out. But anyway, you would shake it and then you know, hey, that bulb's burnt. What do we need to do to get that connection there again so that when God wants to click the power on your life, you'll shine? Like the noonday sun. So let's forget about your spiritual resume. But people want to do that. They're not willing to be the no name. They're not willing to be the person that makes the the bathroom smell pretty. But you don't see. You know how many stories I've heard of people that come and visit church. And they walk into a place. They're like this place has no vision. Either it looks like junk. Or you go in the bathrooms and it smells awful. And they're like I don't want to come back here. Why would somebody of the world want something if they don't understand Jesus yet? Why would they say, God, I got better if I go to the uh, Zaxby's down the road. Their, their bathrooms look better than this one. Why would I want to come to an organization that has no vision of great things? They talk about this great God, but where is he? Where's that vision? Where's these great things? Where's his power? Why would I come to a place whose bathrooms stink? But see, and so we don't want to be the no-name person that actually takes care of that. We want to be the person walking up here with a gift, with a resume, with an anointing, the man of God. That's what many people want to be. And some people, not everybody wants to be up front. And and their their issue can be that, that they never want God to raise them up. No, 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 no. I'll just, look, you, many of you have heard this, but when the, how many people are blessed by the ministry that God's working through Nicole? You know, you've been blessed by the wisdom and the anointing that comes through her, and, and you may see her, you know, when you see her minister, there's an anointing that comes through, and I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, your wife is a blessing to me in this, in this life. But you've got to understand Her issue was not that she didn't want to be a no-name. She wanted to be a no-name. And when I asked her, you know, you've heard the story, when we first started dating, and we were dating, we went to a business meeting, and I said, hey, um, and her social skills were so low, and her self-esteem was so low, I said, "Uh, when we get introduced to people, will you just say, smile, and say hello? That's all I asked. It wasn't a great big thing. But apparently it was, because when she had the meltdown right in front of everybody, like we were standing, like here was the crowd of people, and we just stepped to the side of the crowd of people, and all of a sudden I saw the the eyes well up. I was like, come, let's go over here. Let's go in this room, and let's go to the room, and in the private room, and let's have a talk. And the more I talked, the more I was like, no, it's simple. Just say hello. You know, like that. That's all you got to do. And the more I told, the more she was like, ah! 
She wasn't willing at that point to let God use her, but the more she grew in Christ, she said, Lord, I'll be whoever you want me to be. And the transformation that's taken place now allows the glory of God to overflow out of her into others. So we can be in one ditch or the other. We can be in the place where we don't want to have a great name and we need to move to that place where we're allowed to be used by God. We, we expect Him to use us. Or we could be in the place where we give everybody our spiritual resume and what God literally needs to do is make you a no name before you can move to that place. He needs to actually take you to the place where you don't care if you're ever known by anybody. Because until you get to that place, you won't have the right heart to be standing in front of anybody. It'll be for the wrong reasons. Let me, this is God's plan is to give you a great name. If, I'll, I'm just going to give you the scripture reference. Go read this story. It's 1 Kings 10 and verse 1. Ever, anybody ever heard where the, the queen of Sheba or the queen of the south comes to visit Solomon. Listen, God had poured out his glory on Solomon so much and his wisdom on Solomon so much. Don't read it, just listen, just listen. Write it down, 1 Kings 10.1. All right. Uh, and, and he had poured out his glory on Solomon so much. She heard about it and said, I got to go meet this man. And when she gets there, she says, I didn't hear the half of it. This place is so amazing. The glory, she didn't know fully what it was, but the glory of God's goodness had made this man in his kingdom so great that she was overwhelmed by it. She even said she was so blown away by the servant's clothing the servants were so well dressed. She was blown away by it. The, the word says this, that she had no breath left in her. Many people think she fainted. Like there was so amazing she fainted. She, en she ends up, she gives him an offering of 120 talents. Now that is, each talent is 33 kilograms of gold. So... Here's what that equates out to. She gave him an offering, $178 million. That's what it equates this morning. $178. Listen, and what was that for? To advance the kingdom of God and what, and what God had going on. Why did she do that? Because she was sowing into something that was so great she wanted to be a part of it. That's why. She was blown away by the glory of how great God had made a man. This is God's plan. Uh, your greatness and your great name that God gives to you, you don't give to you, you don't build the house, you don't, you don't give yourself the glory, but when you are willing to let God give it to you and you give the glory to God, He wants to draw people to you so that when they come to you, you point to him and talk about his goodness, his glory, and his greatness, and his great name. But in order to get there, you've got to conquer the test of, do I care if my name is great at all? Do I care? Do I really care? Go to Acts chapter 9, and I'm just going to tell you a couple of stories as we 
head towards the end of this. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20 something. Uh, we'll start at um, verse 19. So Saul, Saul who had been killing Christians, was there when Stephen got stoned and was happy about it. He just gets born again. He meets, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he gets born again. And he goes to the house of Ananias and he had been blind from his encounter with Jesus and all of a sudden the scales fell off. He's healed. He can see. He gets born again. And then it says this in verse 19, he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at D Damascus. And he immediately and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. He is the Son of God. Now, I want you to know, he's putting his name on the line. Because he had been a leader. Now he's going in as a leader saying, I had it all wrong and you don't need to listen to what I was doing. You need to listen to Jesus. Like his reputation's on the line. This would be equivalent to you going into the bank where you've been successful and you depend on them loaning you money uh, because you've been operating by the world system and not God's system and you know, you're, you're walking in, you're depending on everybody. This would be equivalent to going in and telling them all about the goodness of Jesus. And putting your, and, and, and they might think I'm crazy. Exactly. And I'm not telling you to go do that. I'm just telling you that's what he was doing. He was led by the Lord to go do this. He went into his business place, basically got up on the, on the counter and started preaching about Jesus. I remember one preacher one time, uh, he would, this was before we're, we were dealing with all the stuff that we're dealing with today, but he would get up in the airport, he'd stand up on the chair and go, I'm in love with the man. That was before all the stuff we're facing today, but it would get people's attention. And then he'd tell them why he was in love with Jesus, because Jesus was in love with him and introduced them to Jesus. In other words, he put his name on the line. He put his reputation. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid. He was bold. He was confident. This is what Paul's doing. Like Paul had been working for years and years to establish uh, his, his employment, to establish his job, to establish his resume. Immediately after meeting Jesus, he walks in and destroys it all and is willing to put his name on the line. Think about that. You, you went through high school, you went through college, maybe even you had higher, uh, higher than a bachelor's, you're going after a master's, everything, and all of a sudden you've been working hard, you get into the job, you start getting the nice paychecks, everything's looking up, and all of a sudden Jesus says, now throw it all away. Would you do it? Well, Jesus, I want to help you. Now, that's not what we had. Would you do it? I'm willing to be no name not saying that you need to quit your job at all. I'm just saying, if he asked you, how committed are you? How committed are you? He says, immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. Are you willing to be no name? 
Are you willing to go from the <laughs> reputation and, and the resources to nothing? Are you willing, for Jesus' sake, to put your name on the line, to be a no-name? He says, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before their chief priest? I love this. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews. He kept increasing. You remember Luke 2.52? And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And right here we see it in Saul as well. He kept increasing. This is a, God wants you to increase. He wants to raise you up. He wants to take you to new places. But how do you increase? By willing to, being willing to put it all on the line. That's how you increase in the kingdom. The one who is greatest will be least and the least shall be greatest. The greatest is the servant of all. They're willing to put their name on their line. They're willing to step out and be a no-name if that's what it takes. He says, He continued increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now where is he at? He's in Damascus. And then it says, When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. Can you imagine that? Okay, I'm in a city. You know, imagine being in here. The church building is a city. And the Jews now, because you decided to talk about Jesus, they put people by the gates waiting there with their knives like, hey, yeah, come on through. Yeah, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. You might seen Saul. Every door, every exit, you know, they got knives behind their backs waiting to take them out. And what kind of boldness are we talking about that he's preaching? This is what he's caused. Right. Willing to put his name on the line even to the point of death. This is the boldness right. of a no name. And then all of a sudden, now, and watch, they're at every gate. How are you going to get out of this? Verse 25. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket, and he escaped. They went to the wall, led him out through an opening. They lowered him in a basket. Uh, apparently they had ropes hooked onto the basket. Uh, it's interesting because this same word basket is the same one where Jesus fed the uh, 5,000. They took 12 baskets full of fragments. It, like, it wasn't a little bit. This was man-sized baskets, right? 12 baskets full. That's the increase God wants to bring in your life. But here they are. I, I want you to see something. What did Paul do? From this point. He wasn't, this is not Acts 13 yet where he's ordained to be an apostle. This is before he gets the Macedonian call and goes starts, you know, founding churches. This is before that. This is, he just got born again a few days ago. He's preaching Jesus. His whole ministry is in front of him. Hear that. Paul's whole ministry is in front of him. The churches he started. The books he wrote, over half the New Testament. What we know about Christianity, the revelation in, in uh, Ephesians and Colossians, the revelation that we know from him in, in Corinthians, all these books that Paul penned. 
All of these books, all of these churches across Asia and Europe and to the Gentiles, every one of these believers that doesn't know Christ yet, it's in the man who was let down in the basket. The question is not how many seeds are in the apple. The question is how many apples are in the seed. How much was in Paul? How much was in Paul that was let down in the basket by no names holding the ropes? Who were these men? They were disciples. You don't even know their name. And yet what they did established the New Testament, over half the New Testament, and all these churches that Paul planted. And here's what their name is. The guys who held the rope. We don't even know their name. But the Christianity walk that we walk today is based on guys that we don't even know their name. They just let Paul down in a basket. Are you willing to be a no-name somebody that the world will never know your name? Let me, let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard of Edward Kimball? Anybody? You've heard Edward Kimball? Maybe. So maybe one. Willard Norris. Anybody ever heard that name? Jerry King. Anybody ever heard that name? Clell Gibson. Anybody ever heard that name? Rick Kidd. Anybody ever heard that name? Let me, let me tell you a couple of stories. Now, here's one you may know of. You may have heard this one. Mordecai Ham. You've heard that one. How many... How many have not heard of Mordecai Ham. How many know him? Let's do it that way. How many know him, know that name? A few. You, and you should. We've talked about it like just a few weeks ago. So, Let me, let me, let me tell you a story. These are the no names. See, everybody wants to be a Billy Graham. They want to be known like this. They want to have a name that's great. They want to do great things for the, for the kingdom, for the gospel. But these names that I just told you, they play a part in a story that's great and mighty and even have affected your life. Each one of these names have affected your life and you may not even know it because they're no names to most people. You don't know their name. You've never heard of them. Let me tell you a couple of stories. Billy Graham. Billy Graham preached, it's, it's approximated that he preached to over 2.2 billion people about Jesus. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Do I have any Christians in America? <laughs> Billy Graham, there was a guy named Edward Kimball, which is the first one that I said. Edward Kimball, you know who he was? A Sunday school teacher. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. And then here's what happened. 
the Sunday school teacher had some folks that came to Sunday school and he had such a heart for them, he didn't want to see them uh, pass. He wanted to make sure that they knew Jesus. Edward Kimball, do you know his name? Have you heard his name before? Edward Kimball. You know, what did he do in the kingdom? Like he wasn't some great evangelist or anything like that. He was a Sunday school teacher that had a heart for the people that he was serving at that time. Well, he had one, one person in the Sunday school class, and, and this person worked at a shoe store stocking shoes. And so he had a heart for him to know Jesus. So Edward Kimball goes, and he starts telling this, this uh, clerk, this young man at the shoe store about Jesus. And, and here's the thing about these no-names. We don't even really know if that's the point that he led the man to Christ. We don't even know if he actually did it. Here's what we know. He at least was a part of the watering and the planting of seeds. But he took the time out during his week, during his time to go and share the gospel with this young man who was stocking shoes at the store. And eventually this young man comes to Christ. Whether it was that day or, or not, that's, that's questionable. But that man was Dwight L. Moody. Anybody ever heard that name? Dwight, Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody, then, in one of his meetings where he's preaching the gospel, he starts to minister, and he ministers to a man named Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman. Anybody heard that name? And Wilbur Chaplin, Chapman becomes an evangelist. And that is an evangel I, lo I love this. In reading about it, here's what it said. He was an evangelist to thousands. Do you know how little thousands is? Like if you're called to be an evangelist and that's your call, when it says you ministered to thousands, do you know how discouraging that can be? I mean, there's a hundred here today. I, I mean, I do this ten days. I'm in the thousands. You understand? This is a small number. And you're called to be an evangelist? But he did it. Wilbur Chapman. An evangelist to thousands. Well, one day in that, he gets the opportunity. We don't know if he actually leads them to Christ or not. Some people say he does. Some people say. But in one day in his ministry, he meets Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a baseball player who stopped playing baseball so that he could go and become a no-name. But God made his name great. That's why some people know about him. And he went on to preach. Well, then Billy Sunday, uh, he leads Mordecai Ham to the Lord or plays a part in it. Mordecai Ham is the evangelist who's preaching the tent revival in Charlotte years ago when a young Billy Graham comes in first night. And on the second night, he gives his life to Christ. All of these people, these are no-names, but what is their fruit in heaven? Are you willing to be a no-name? Do you know what you're actually doing when you take the time out? I want to tell you a story right now. I want, to, I want to tell you a story called The Guy at the Traffic Light. The Guy at the Traffic Light. One day, there was a guy... There was a guy named Roger. And Roger, when we begin this story, and there was, he was a mess. He was a heathen. He'd been raised in a very rough family, a very rough way of living. Matter of fact, to give you an idea of how rough uh, it was, at this point in his life, 
he had not, he had gone through, uh, he was about 26, and at this point, uh, maybe 25 when the story begins, he, he was about 25, and he had not cried at this point for 15 years, even though he'd seen very close relatives die, all kinds of tragedy. He had not shed a tear uh, since he was 10, 10 years old. Hadn't even shed a tear. Hard heart. At this point in his life, literally uh, about one year from the beginning of this story, about one year later, he's contemplating how he can get somebody killed. That's where he's at. Why? Because the person had done him wrong in business. I'm going to take you out. That's where he was at. All of a sudden, he lives in a town and across the street from him, uh, there's somebody that goes to, uh, goes to church. He knows they go to church. But they're a bunch of hypocrites because the problem is they're always across the street. You can hear them loud, boisterous, laughing, everything. It, you know they're drunk. So all he sees, oh yeah, they're telling everybody how to be what they should be, but they're over there drinking. A really good witness, right? A really good witness for Christ over there partying, drinking. Here's this man, you know, Roger, who needs to know Jesus, who's, who's, but here's across the street, really good witness. So Roger, in all of his kindness, stands on his front porch and cusses at them all the time when they come home, <laughs> cussing at them. And he's trying to draw them out because he's a rough character. He's trying to draw them out. He's just hoping one of them will talk back and let's meet in the street. And he, he entices them. Come on, let's meet in the street and I'll whip you all. Yelling. Well, the neighbor at some point decides, let's send the outreach team. How do you appreciate that? The guy goes, you know, goes to his church and he's like, hey, we got this guy cussing. I think the outreach team ought to go visit them, you know. And so he sends the outreach team over across the street uh, to visit Roger. And about that time, now listen to this. He sends the outreach team. That, it, it, it combined, uh, there's a guy named Buddy Clark. Have you ever heard that name? Uh, his wife was named Barbara. He was a deacon at the Baptist church in town. There was a guy named Walter Ward who was the chairman of the deacons. And then there was a guy, uh, Dr. Bill Bowers. Dr. Bill Bowers. And so they come over and they visit Roger's house. And you got to remember, Roger doesn't, he doesn't know anything about Christ. He, he thinks that the people across the street are hypocrites and they come over and within minutes this, this outreach team tells him, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. Well, at that point, Roger stands up in his own living room and says, you know, because you got three guys and uh, three guys and a lady. And he says, ma'am, you may want to make your way towards the door because I'm about to whip all three of these men starting with that one right there. And, and they run over themselves getting out the door, and, and Roger, I'm sure, cusses them on, as they're going out. Now, what he didn't know, what he didn't know was that the party and the hypocrite status that they had was actually ice cream socials and the joy of the Lord. And it was so loud, they had so much of the joy of the Lord, he thought they were drunk. 
How could anybody have that much fun without drinking was his thoughts. About a week after this incident, the pastor comes in, and the pastor's name is Stancil Balkum. The pastor's name is Stancil. You ever heard of that name? I mean, he's a pastor. You hadn't heard of him? And the pastor comes, and, and the pastor says, comes to him and says, you know, he comes and visits his house. He lets him in. Roger lets him in. He starts to tell him about Jesus, I guess. But within minutes, again, the pastor says, you're going to hell. And, and Roger says, what is with it with you, you people? I invite you into my house, and in minutes you're telling me I'm going to hell. You better get out of here before I whip you now. I'm sure it was not as pretty as what I just said. Because that's where Roger was coming from. You better leave now. One year later, after this incident, Roger is in sales. He's visiting a customer. And this, this guy, his name is Willard Norris, which I mentioned a few minutes ago. Have you ever heard his name? Willard Norris. I just want to make sure. He's the head of maintenance at a hospital here in North Carolina. Roger's visiting him, trying to make a sale. He's all business. He notices a, a picture on the desk that was a picture of Willard and his family, and he says, hey, is that your family? Now, Roger doesn't necessarily care about that. He just wants to build relationships so he can keep sales coming in. He's got no heart to really know or care about his family that way. He doesn't have Jesus. Is that your family? And Willard says, yeah, yeah, that's, that's my family. And then, then Willard says, can I ask you a question, Roger? And he says, sure. And, and Roger normally he's not open. He's not open to these things. But the, the issue is this. There's something different about Willard. He's a kind man. He's gentle and he's kind. He's noticed that. And so when he asks him a question, he opens himself up to that question. And Roger allows Willard to ask him that question. His kindness, his gentleness, once and although you don't know Willard, this was a huge moment for Roger. You've never heard his name. Then he says this. He says, he says, do you mind if I ask you a question? Roger, are you a Christian? No. Do you go to church? No. Uh, Roger, do you read your Bible? No. Do you pray? No. He said, can I ask you a favor? He said, sure. He said, I want to ask you if you would for the next month. Will you go to church and read your Bible and will you pray? Will you read your Bible and pray every day? And he said, listen, he said, if you come back to me one month from now and you don't have a happier life, he said, I'll never bother you again. I'll never even talk to you about it again. If you, if you do those things and you, and you don't have a happier life, uh, he said, I'll never bother you again. So Roger says, hey, you know, this, there's something about this guy. He's kind. He says, I'll never mention it to you again. He says, yeah, I'll do that. He said, now listen, he said, I'll go to church. He said, and I'll read the Bible, but I'm not going to pray. And uh, 
He said, okay. He said, do you mind if I ask you why? He said, no. He said, no. He said, I, I can't understand talking to somebody I can't see. That just makes no sense to me at all. And so Willard says, well, that's okay. You just do the two then. Well, and Roger says, I'll go to church. But here's the issue. The only church he knows is the pastor he threatened to whip and kicked out of his living room and the hypocrites living across the street. So when he says, yeah, I'll go to church, I mean, he's making a commitment. He's going to have to face this pastor that he threatened to beat. But he says, okay, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll read the Bible and I'll go to church. And uh, so he goes and he starts reading the Bible. And he says, when you start reading, he says, start in the Gospel of John. And, and so Roger starts reading the Gospel of John and... All of a sudden, it's like those words are alive. They're alive. They're, they're, he said, it's like they're coming off the pages to me. It was something different about this book. And he decides to go to church, and he, he, Roger, Roger said, I remember when I walked through the door, the, the pastor was announcing something. He said, I was so ignorant about church, I walked in the door, and I was looking around, and uh, he said, somebody said, oh, are you looking for the sanctuary? And he's like, I have no idea what the sanctuary is, but that's probably where I'm going. Yeah, where is that? <laughs> he doesn't even know. He doesn't know church hall. He doesn't know anything like that. He goes into the sanctuary and there's uh, the pastor, Stancil Balkum, that he had threatened to whip. He's in mid-announcement and uh, he says, the pastor looks up and sees me. And he says, I realize I probably need to take a seat quick. I'm just thinking, what would we do today? All right, well, I went to this guy's house, and Pastor Brian gets threatened by somebody, and that guy walks in the back door. I'm sure y'all's earpieces start crackling. There he is. He's wearing a dark coat and, and blue jean pants. Everybody keep your eye on him. You know, y'all be watching all the security. They'd be talking. And, is that right? Amen. I appreciate that, too. And uh, so they, they'd have, we'd have eyes on them. Well, we would have had eyes on Roger that day. He goes to church. He reads the Bible the second day. The second day he's reading the Bible, the same thing starts to happen. These words are alive. They start to come off the page at him. He, he's like, there's something to this. All his life, he's, he's been taught that, that God was nothing, that it wasn't real. He's had no, all of a sudden, he's seeing the reality of God. And it's starting to do something, even in his heart and in his mind, just reading the Bible. You know, God says this, if you open the door, I'll come in. You ask, you'll find me. His promises are true, even to this heathen. That second day, Roger prays. He said he wasn't going to, but he, he prays the first prayer of his life as an adult and says this, God, he says, if you're up there and if there's anything to this at all, show me more. For that, from that day, every day, God put somebody in his life so much so that it began to be unnerving. He picked up a hitchhiker. The hitchhiker, right out of the gate, he hands him a track and starts to tell him about Jesus. The next day, uh, he's going, he's in Greensboro. He's going up on an elevator in Greensboro to somewhere around like the eighth floor. A guy gets on the elevator at the same time 
At the same time, the guy gets on the elevator and they ride only to the eighth floor. And in that period of time, the guy tells him the gospel about Jesus. He had eight floors to do it. He tells them about Jesus. Who are we talking about? I don't even know their names. Who is it? The hitchhiker. Who is it? The guy on the elevator. I don't know their names. There are no names. The next day, he goes to an auto parts store. The guy there, his name was Jerry King. Roger sees him that one time. He never sees him again in his life. But while he's, there, while he's there at the auto parts store, he doesn't know him. He's not a friend. He says, Roger, he says, can I have your address? You know, when people used to actually write on paper and they lick stamps and mail things, like that used to happen. And uh, that's what happened. He sent him a letter. And in the letter, it was a five-page letter telling him about Jesus. All this is within 10 days after he told Willard Norris that he'd read his Bible and he'd go to church. Every day somebody was there. And then there was the guy at the traffic light. They're sitting there on the, on, they're sitting at an intersection waiting to walk across the, cro the crosswalk. The light's red. While he's standing there, somebody, the guy at the traffic light, we don't know his name. He's a no-name. But he walks up and he talks to Roger and he says, can I tell you about my friend? And he, while they're standing at the light waiting to walk, he tells them about Jesus. And by the time they get across the street, we don't know who he is. We've never seen him before, never seen him after, but he gave about Jesus every single day. All of a sudden, he realized God's doing something. Ten days later, this is November the 4th, 1974. Ten days later, at 10 a.m. in the morning, Roger goes into another customer. This customer was uh, Bragtown Baptist Church. Ten days after Willard Norris asked him to read his Bible and go to church, every day God had put somebody in his life telling him about Jesus. When he called on him, God answered. And these are not people that you know their names. They're no names. Ten days later, he calls on the pastor of this church, one of the largest churches in Durham, and the name of the pastor was Clell Gibson. Now, Roger liked this guy. He was respectable. He used to work for Firestone. He had, he had done well. Now he was a pastor of a large church in Durham, and he was, he was there. And what was interesting was he knew Clell's story actually was a mirror of his own life, and so they had that in common. And Roger, even though this was a Christian, he had respect for this guy. And uh, they started talking that day, and the pastor, Clell, said this. He said, Roger, he said, something's going on with you. And so Roger starts to tell that story and starts relaying what's happened over the last 10 days. And pastor says, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. And Roger says, the Holy what? The Holy what? And pastor Clell told the gospel to Roger. He told Roger how men had been in a jam, that the devil had deceived them. They didn't realize that they already had relationship with God, but maybe they did, maybe they didn't realize that when they sinned, it broke that relationship and it doomed them to an eternity to hell. But God didn't leave us alone. He didn't leave us to get burned up. What, Ro what Roger received that day by Pastor Clell's story is that God loved him. 
and that he didn't leave them alone, but he actually said that even when you were my enemy, Christ was given, Christ died for you so that you wouldn't have to go to an eternity in hell, that you can be adopted into the family of God. He did not leave you helpless, which is where you've been. And you might not have even known that that's what sin did, how it did it to you, but that's the result regardless of whether you know about it or not. And he said it's a free gift. All you have to do is you just have to confess Jesus as Lord and believe that he died for you and that God brought him back to life and you'll be born again. And Pastor Clell said this, Roger, he said, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And Roger said this, you remember there's no religion. Roger said this, well any fool would want that. Any fool would want that. Have you ever heard Pastor Clell's name before? He said, okay, Roger. He said, then I want you to pray and ask Jesus to be your Savior. He said, would you like to pray yourself on your own, or would you like me to say it and you repeat after me? He said, yeah, let's, let's let you say it, and I'll repeat after you. And then Pastor Clell said this. He said, okay, then uh, bow your head and close your eyes, and let's pray. Now see, what you don't understand here is the background. Maybe some of you do. Maybe somebody that's hearing this, you understand the background. This is a man who's had a rough life. He's telling me in this office, close my eyes. Instantly, he's thinking, this is a big setup. My enemy is trying to take me out. He set this thing up. As soon as I close my eyes, somebody, there's going to be a trap door open. There's going to be men come out and kill me. There's no way I'm closing my eyes. And so the pastor bows his head, and he's like red flags. Boom, boom, boom. No, I'm, and he's backing out of the situation. And this is reality to Roger because that's where he lived. Then all of a sudden, what happens is the pastor closes his eyes. He says the words. Roger says the words. Yep, yep, I received Jesus as my Lord, everything. He's got his eyes open the whole time. He's watching. He's got his eyes open. Then all of a sudden, the pastor says amen. And he lifts up his head and he smiles at Roger. And he says, how do you feel? And Roger says, his mind turning a thousand miles an hour. Wait, this was real. Like this was no trap. This was no trick. He's, God, this is all real? This is all you? And about that time he tells Pastor Clell, and Roger says this. He says, Pastor Clell, he says, that one didn't take. Let's pray it again. This time I'll mean it. And so they bow their head together. And Roger, out of his heart, confesses Jesus as Lord and confesses him and believes that God brought him back to life. And at that moment, Roger has this testimony. I felt a burden lift off of me like I've never felt before. I didn't even know it was there, but I felt I didn't even know that was in the Bible, that he would lift that burden. He said, but I felt the burden lift. He said, and I cried for the first time in 16 years. He said, the carpet was soaked. Something had happened. Something had happened. Jesus had saved him. Why? Because there had been no name. Jerry King, Clell Gibson, 
Buddy Clark, Walter Ward, Dr. Bill Bowers. You know, here's an interesting thing. Dr. Bill Bowers that was on the outreach team, he was the doctor at Chapel Hill Hospital. Uh, isn't he important? Isn't, does, doesn't he have a small amount of time to give? Yet he's on the outreach team to go visit this heathen. See, we can make excuses all day long, but are we willing to be no names? Listen, later on when, when Roger went back to the pastor, Stancil, and he told him about this, he found out later this doctor, Dr. Bill Bowers, he, he said, Roger, I prayed for you by name every day for the past year for you to be born again. You've never heard his name. He's a doctor working at Chapel Hill Hospital. A key ingredient, his prayer led him to the place where he would receive this gospel. It was so much a testimony that Pastor Stancil, you remember the one uh, that Roger kicked out of his house? He said, you got to come tell this story. And he started taking him around the churches and he started ministering his testimony and there was a move of God. And then you got to understand, this was in 1974. At that point, I want you to see something. At that point, his son, Roger's son, was one year old. But because Roger was now connected to Jesus, he started taking his family to church and he started taking them. And when his six years later, when his son was seven years old, December of 1980, his son sitting there in a service and the pastor that day was Rick Kidd. And he was preaching and his son was sitting about where you are, Colleen. And all of a sudden in that day, is, the son says it like this. He's, the son says... I didn't know what was going on. I just know they were going to ask to give your life to Jesus. And as soon as that, soon as that was done, I had to go up there and talk to that pastor so I could re receive Jesus at seven years old and the life was changed forever. That son is preaching to you today. So these names that we don't know, they all have affected your life. The question is, are you willing to be a no-name so that God can be a name written on every person's heart? Are you willing to give of your time like Dr. Bill Bowers who prayed every day and was on the outreach team? Are you willing to be the Sunday school teacher that would go to the work and say, God's put you on my heart, I want to tell you more about Jesus, Dwight Moody? Are you willing to be the evangelist that doesn't have a big ministry, but maybe you touch one life? that touches another, that touches Mordecai Ham, that touches Billy Graham? Are you willing to be a no-name so that God's name can be great in the hearts of men? Roger's my dad. And I'm, it's the grace of God that I could share that and not get choked up in the middle of it. And that's a real story. That's actually what happened for him to be born again. And for me to not have to go through the same life so that I can present Jesus to you every Sunday and throughout the week. You're being affected by these no names that you've never even known before. They are having a, a big impact in your lives. The question is, will you be the no name to somebody else? 
Will you walk in relationship and fellowship with Christ and make him your Lord, not just something you put on the plate or a picture that you hang in your house that shows that, oh yeah, we're quote-unquote Christian, but you'll actually be the person that's willing to be the guy at the traffic light, the guy on the elevator, the hitchhiker. Will you be willing to be known as that guy? Will you be willing to live your life in that way, to be the no-name, to win the souls, to, to help, hey, we got a goal for 5,000 people to commit to Christ this year. I'm going to be a big chunk of it. I, I got my own personal goal will be to get 500 of them. My goal will be to get 100 of them. I'm going to lead them to the Lord. I'm going to learn what I need to do. I, I'm willing to go and talk to somebody. Even if it doesn't result in salvation today, I'm going to plant the seed. I'm going to water it. I'm going to harvest it. I'm going to be a part of the process. Lord, I give myself to you. And I'll be a no-name if that's what you want. But what you'll find is if, the more you give yourself to be the no-name, the more God will raise you up to be the light and be the salt. I just want to open this up, open up the altar today. And I just want you to say, Lord, help me to be a no-name. If you want to glorify me, glorify me. But I don't really care. I'm willing to go for the rest of my life here on this earth and I'll be a Dr. Bill Bowers. I'll be a Stancil Balkum. I'll be a Willard Norris. I'll be a Mordecai Ham. I'll be somebody that nobody knows their name, but Lord, let me take part in something big that you're doing. Let me be something. Let me be the guy on the elevator. Let me be the hitchhiker that can't stop telling people about Jesus. Let me be the Nicole that allows God to flow through her into other people. Let me be who you've called to be. I don't care if anybody ever knows my name. Let me be the guy at the traffic light. Is that your heart? I just ask you to come pour it out to God this morning at this altar. And just come up now. Father, right now we just commit ourselves to be the no name. Lord, let us be who you've called us to be. Let us be a cog in the wheel. We don't care if the cog is ever known or labeled. Lord, let us be a part of the process where people can be moved by you through us. Lord, we don't want to be the kind of people that goes through life. And I could have had this. I could have been this, Lord. But I wasn't because I wasn't willing to be a no-name. Lord, let me be used by you. Play some music, please. Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to be used by you. Lord, make a move through me. Make a move through me. I need you to move. Father, right now we just praise you. Just pray this with me this morning. Just everybody pray this out of your mouth. Just say, Father, right now, Jesus is the Lord of my life. You're the director. Pray it with me. You're the director. You call the shots, and I'll be obedient. Jesus, you're my Lord. I believe you died for me. I believe that God brought you back to life. And when he raised you up, he raised me up. And he raised me up to make your name great. Baptize me in the Holy Ghost and fire. 
to be your witness, to fulfill your plan in the earth and in my life. Lord, let me be a no-name. If nobody ever knew my name, let me be used by you. Let me be a part in your process. What a great honor to be used by you, whether I'm ever known or not. Lord, we just worship. Lord, I just ask right now that you will empower your believers to be everything you've called them to be. Lord, let us be the no name.